Hello and welcome to episode four of Bullfast Think Smart from Jail Coaching. Today we welcome, in our first episode of 2021, one of the five newest Yorkshire Diamonds professional women's cricketers, Phoebe Graham. Okay, Phoebe, thanks very much for joining us. Um, usually with this we start with cricketers' journeys from day one, but obviously recently you've had quite a big event in your career turning professional. Talk me through the emotions surrounding being awarded your first professional contract. Firstly, thank you for having me on. And great question to start. I think it's something that I'd always wanted to do, be a professional cricketer, but the strictures of the game never really facilitated it for me as a person. So 18, 19, there weren't any professional contracts around at that point, and I chose to go to Exeter University. And that choice in itself was so that I could pursue with my career and also play a bit of cricket. Um, and then from there on, I sort of played county cricket, but never thought that the professional dream was open until the Rachel Hayhoe Flint competition this year. And with the introduction of the professional contracts, I just put all my focus into cricket from training to figuring out a work schedule that allowed me to play as much cricket as possible. And it felt like there was a light at the end of the tunnel. So when I got awarded the contract, I was so overwhelmed because it was probably a dream that I'd let slip. And then all of a sudden at 29, it came back open. So yeah, it was a very overwhelming day when James, the director of cricket, rang me to tell me that I'd got a professional contract and then, yeah, 360 my life and move back to Yorkshire and see what happens next really. Here we are yeah you mentioned there um, balancing work and cricket how was how did you find that balance in order to kind of develop your game but also provide for yourself if that makes sense? Yeah definitely I think it's something that a lot of female athletes will empathise with is trying to balance your career when it can't be sport and sport can't facilitate your paychecks and your sporting ambitions. Because as an athlete, whether you're being paid or not paid, you want to play to the best of your ability and you want to play the best possible standard you can. So it's always been a bit of a balancing act in terms of getting to the gym before work, training, um, and then fitting around the career. I think the difference this year is that with the Rachel Hayhoe Flynn competition, the anti really upped in the women's game and the expectations increased as well. Therefore, we were training three, four times a week. We had access to physios, strength and conditioning coaches, the same bowling coaches week in, week out. So there's been a huge shift in women's cricket in terms of that expectation. And that's where, for me personally, I knew I couldn't continue both playing cricket and pursuing a marketing career because the two then became too much whereas before with women's county cricket it was an eight week season potentially 10 week season every Saturday Sunday so for two three months it was hard work but then you could sort of relax into your club cricket so yeah the Anti has definitely shifted this year and the expectation of increase, which is incredible. But that's where my sort of decision came to definitely take professional contracts and able now to dedicate my time and efforts to be the best possible athlete. With that, 
there. What's your winter look like this year so far compared to what it would normally look like in previous years? So previous years was winter training probably starting January, February, one net a week. Um, <clears throat> if I'm honest, there wasn't a lot of funding in the women's game and there's a huge dropout of participation from 2021. So when I was at Berkshire, I was 27, 28 and probably the oldest there by seven, eight years. Yeah. So coaching the kids and trying to get to the best of my ability whereas the shift now is we're in three times a week plus we've got a full week training schedules so we've got strength and conditioning physio at hand actual bowling coach batting coach so I've seen my game progress over the past three months quite dramatically because it just shows how having that access to training having that access and ability to practice can really help your game um, but yeah, prior to that, unfortunately, the sort of training structures weren't there in women's county cricket. So we sort of did what we could and you sort of roll your sleeves up and play a bit of men's cricket, play a bit of junior cricket in your days and you get your cricket elsewhere versus um, always through women and girls cricket. Yeah, it's an interesting point there, actually, because you said now you've been able to kind of put the work in on a consistent basis, you can see the rewards, which is really good thing for younger cricketers to understand is that actually there is rewards at the end of that hard work if you really put the effort in you can get there so it's a really good learning point something else you mentioned there as well when you were down at Berkshire was that you were kind of a little bit older than everyone else did that become a little bit of a balancing act between progressing your own game and helping the younger ones as well was that hard to manage or did you find that okay I quite enjoyed that role because I really like developing youngsters and bringing on the game itself. But it was actually a conversation that I had with my coach at Berkshire, Danny Warren, a year ago to say to her, I find it quite difficult not knowing whether I'm a coach or a player going to training. And that opened up an opportunity to play with the MCC Academy. So I think my one piece of advice there would be if you're a young female or girl playing cricket and you're not playing to your right standard use your voice to figure out what the next opportunity is because that really helped me with my game to then play in the MC play with the mcc academy just before covid and get training again it was once a week but it was much more aligned to my standard um, and i think sometimes people don't know what your ambitions are unless you use your voice um, and it's obviously in the right way, having the right sort of conversations, but that really helped me um, figure out what my role was, whether it was a player coach or a player. And I think I was still ready to develop my game versus take my cap off and be a coach. Yeah, that's a fantastic point because there are situations ongoing where people kind of don't know where they want to go and kind of don't know where they fit in and staying quiet and in the background doesn't really benefit your game. So to have the best personal development, I think it's good to have those conversations. And it's a fantastic point you've made there. Um, now, if we go back a little bit, I've read a little bit about your background and cricket growing up. What are your earliest memories of cricket and getting into the sport? My earliest memories are when I'm two, three, at the side of a cricket pitch. Um, my dad played minor county cricket and we were brought up on the side of the cricket pitch. It wasn't till 12, 13 that I started playing. Um, Dad had a minor a specialist cricket sports shop and someone rang the, 
sports shop and said, do any of your girls want to play at the interval at Scarborough? So because I'm one of three sisters, the three of us went in those little green t-shirts, ran on, played a little bit of quick cricket. And then from then on, the lovely lady that ran it, Wendy Bolton, said, do you want to come play in the boys' team at pool? And then from there on, never looked back. So it was quite interesting that you're in and around that environment, but the opportunities weren't there for a female cricketer or female athlete. I was playing every other sport under the sun um, in teams, but there wasn't, I couldn't see a girls' team, so I didn't play. But as soon as I was put in that environment, I knew what to do because I'd watched it all my life. Yeah, now I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but it seems a really good point to bring it in now. Outside of playing uh, professional sport, I've noticed you've got your own online platform aimed at improving the perceptions of women's sport. Can you just talk us through and give us a background around the website, Tip and Flip, and how it became what it was today and what the main focus of the project was? Yeah, sure. So I think that women's sport globally is a really great tipping point in terms of there's a lot more resource being pumped into the game. You can see the returns of investment, say, for example, in the Women's World Cup in Australia last year, there was 86,000 people at the stadium. But in order for it to reach its potential, a lot of perceptions need to be tipped. So that's where tip and flip comes in. Like it. And I guess it's just from my frustrations as a female athlete growing up in the fact that people are very shocked that I play cricket. People really county cricket and it shocks them or um you feel like you've got a point to prove if you're playing men's and boys cricket versus just being part of it and it being normalized so yeah i guess my dream ambition is that in 20 30 years time or 10 15 years time when you open up a newspaper or scroll through your news feed it's 50 percent women's sport 50 percent men's sport and um, and that's where i think things need to tip and flip and perceptions need to be changed I guess it's a journey that everyone has a role to play so I'm just trying to create a platform that I can use a voice and tip and flip it yeah no it's a it's a great initiative and one that I found really interesting doing my research this interview it's certainly something that I'll keep an eye out for and with my girls on the program and things like that something we'll definitely keep an eye out for that's for sure if we can just yeah. move back again towards university cricket Obviously, you mentioned playing at Exeter University. How was that experience of university cricket and what did you take away from that? So I loved my university cricket. We, It was quite a strange one because with uni split into three terms and cricket was always played in the summer term, which is six, seven weeks long. So we only got a very short season. But we made the final at Lord's three years running and played against Loughborough at the final, which was amazing and gave them a good run for the money because we had a reasonable team. There was pro there's me, myself, Lissy McLeod, Amara Carr, Fee Morris, Ailish Cranstone, and they're all now within the semi-professional and professional environment. So we always gave Loughborough a run for the money, even though they had the likes of Amy Jones, Tammy Berriman, Lauren Winfield-Hill, Agnes Ribsall, etc., etc., etc. So... I think we just had a really strong team camaraderie. We knew that we were probably not getting the same level of training, but we were enjoying the balance of work, like socialising, work and everything else. So we, my uni days were fabulous from that perspective. Massively important. Um, again, we'll come back to the Hayhoe Flint Trophy last year. That being a massive year for you, reaching the final at Edgebaston, 
What was that entire campaign like to be involved in? It was absolutely brilliant. Um, the way that the regional structure is pulled together is it's the best county players from three, four counties. So the Northern Diamonds is um, brought together through Durham, Northumberland and Yorkshire. And you could see a real shift in the standard in it almost becoming, well, it is now a high performance environment. And previously in county cricket, if you got a team seven or eight down, a team were potentially dead and buried. Whereas in this competition, you were getting number nines and tens scoring 20, 30 not out because the talent and depth of the team was so strong. And that's credit to the ECB for restructuring the women's game like that. And to be able to play at some of the grounds that we played at, Headingley, Edgebaston, was absolutely brilliant. Um, something that I've played every now and again at really great grounds, but it never felt that consistency yeah. throughout. So it was just awesome. Like That's the only thing, the way I can describe it. It felt like an environment that we should be in, that we we can hold our own in. And I'm just so pleased that the game's developed and restructuring as it is. The way you talk about that campaign, it's clear that you had such an enjoyment from it. How important is that enjoyment of what you're doing and how you're going about things in order to keep progressing? I think it's the most important thing. I think it's so important that you enjoy what you do and you're passionate about what you do, um, regardless of what sport you're playing. And it will get to a point in your sport that you have to really focus and prioritise and practice and make sure that that's what you want to get to the top. But you're, as long as you're enjoying it and you've got that balance, yeah, I think that's a fundamental in sport and in life. Absolutely, absolutely agree. And with that as well, the final last year was broadcast on Sky. How was it like for you knowing that that big game was going to be projected out to the nation? One, from your point of view, and two, from a point of view of women's sport in general. I think, from my point of view, it added a layer of nerves. Never, ever played live on TV before. And the strange thing about it is there's no one in the stadium. So normally, whether you're playing down at your local club, you've normally got your mum, dad and sisters and brothers watching. So you've gone from having your closest friends and family watching to, to nobody, but knowing that everybody's watching. So there was a level of nerves that um, came with it, which I really enjoyed. And I do thrive off that sort of energy and pressure. And then for women's cricket, I thought it was absolutely brilliant because it showcased how good the new domestic structure was, or structure is. And I think that's really important for people to see and see what the women's game is and what the equivalent to county cricket is now in the women's game because it's good to watch there's some good players there's great shots there's skills that everyone can learn from and it also helps young girls to see role models and see what their future careers could potentially be yeah no i agree I've, we've done a little bit of work with um lauren winfield hill and for my work up in Newcastle, I know quite a couple of the girls coming through the Northern, Northumberland setup. So it was good to see kind of that pathway in action. And it must have been yeah. good for other uh, young female cricketers to sit back and watch and say, well, three, four, five years, this structure is in place for me now. That could be me. I could be playing on Sky. So it almost adds that little bit more. It gives people something else to think about and acts as another little inspirational tool. 
which is a, obviously, like you say, a great thing for the, the women's game. Um, I think the... it brings... Sorry, I was no, going to say, I think it brings back a, some hunger into the game as well. So a lot of girls in our team, well, there's myself, likes of Amy Campbell, Jenny Gunn, have found a new lease of life for cricket because there's that hunger and competition and we want the younger girls to be knocking on the door to take our spots. And that's that healthy, competitive environment that the game's missed. So completely agree with you. I think seeing the pathway coming through, young players like Layla Tipton sort of developing through the game, Rachel Slater, I think it's going to be brilliant for them to see where they could be. Yeah, absolutely. It's As a, as a county set up there, the Yorkshire Diamonds look really strong and the strength in depth is good so hopefully in the next few years we'll start seeing that coming through i'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of it goes um in the trophy itself um your average economy was just 3.87 and over which is mightily impressive for a white ball competition how important was a new ball partnership for you particularly with beth langston i think that was integral to how we set the tone of the game and Langers has got such good control of the ball and lots of good variations to put the batters in sort of a indecisive place. I think it was really important that we were holding our own at both ends and asking questions. So, yeah, I think it's integral to set off at the right foot when you've got an opening bowling partnership and it helps that at the other end you've got someone that's bowling a slower ball, putting them on the back foot and really testing them from that side. Yeah. With that then, how important do you think it is for young bowlers to understand that a good game isn't just marketed by the wickets taken? It's important to understand how central bowling in partnerships and creating pressure is. Yeah, I think that's massive. You can't always be the wicket taker, the run highest run scorer being the best place in the field it's what your contribution is and as a bowler if you're just holding up an end and the other bowler is taking all that taking the wickets your pressure is creating those wickets and I think it's looking at the game differently rather than just seeing yourself as an individual it's what's your contribution to the team so I didn't take a huge amount of wickets in the competition I took two wickets but I know I put a lot of pressure on the batters that then enabled my partner Levick or Langston at the other end to take wickets and that's really important and I think that's why it's important to look at your economy as well as your wickets and put the game into perspective. Yeah it's a great point because the non-thinking cricketers and cricket fans amongst people listening might turn around and say well two wickets in five games that's not a great return but actually when you look deeper into it the pressure, the economy rate and the partnerships you build, it's central to that team environment. So to have a team set up, built on partnerships for the Diamonds, obviously, as a bowling unit, it's extremely successful. And it is really important to think deeper other than just statistics. How many runs did I go for? How many wickets did I take? Think a little bit deeper about the role that juniors are playing in the game, which is good. For you, obviously, a little bit of a taller bowler, um, ability to hit, 70 miles an hour how important is what does your game plan look like when you're at the top of your mark running into ball for me i'm trying to hit back of the length so hitting the top splice of the batter's bat i think i'm quite 
an unusual height for a female, so 5'11", nearly touching on six foot, and I've got to use that to my advantage. So that's something that, um, that's something that is one of my focuses in terms of my game plan, is really hitting that length, because it's quite difficult to play when I'm hitting my right lengths. And then game plan-wise, it's looking at who's in front of you as a batter as well to see what game they play. And it we do a lot of anal- analysis the night before to look at players, look at video footage to say, this is how Georgia Adams plays, so this should be our plan of action to her. And you might set your field slightly differently, you might change your game plan a little bit, but as well just adapting during the game because your game plan could change. You might need to bowl your because to Georgia Adams, you might need to pull it back even further because she's driving you on the front foot. So that's been a huge adaption for me is adapting my game quicker to these better players. Um, yeah. And I think that'll come with time as well. But yeah, your game plan changes all the time, but you've got to be clear with what that is when you start up at the top of your own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned George Adams there. Who do you think your toughest opponent's been so far? And why? Playing against in the competition, I'd say Georgia Adams batted fantastically, and she, I just couldn't quite get her out, and that was a frustrating as a bowler. But I think she played a brilliant game, so I'm looking forward to coming up against the Southern Vipers next season because I think they've got a fantastic team. And they are probably the team that challenged us the most from a batting perspective. And um, they had a lot of depth, and we held them to two fifty. And um, but we could have probably got a few more wickets early on. So I think, yeah, that team is the toughest opponents that we came against, and I'm looking forward to playing them next year. Yeah, or this year. Absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of other teams there that have got some big names, but within your side as well, you've got the likes of Catherine Brunt, Lauren Winfield Hill, Jenny Gunn, Katie Levick, who's taken wickets for fun over the last few years how important is it for you to have good bonds with your teammates and learn from them as well as the coaches oh so important i think i'll use jenny gunn as a prime example here so she's 34 and she's got i think 250 international caps she's probably one of the most um, experienced players playing the game in the world she's incredible Mm -hmm. And when I went out and batted with her in the middle against the Central Sparks and we're nine down needing, I think it was 40 to win, and we managed to take them off. The reason for that is because I went into the middle and Jenny Gunn said, enjoy it out here, Phoebes. It's lovely. She had such a calming energy and knew how to deal with that scenario. Again, in the nets, she's got this really strong presence that just can guide you through your game just as well as coaches can. So... I think whatever environment you're in, whatever team you're in, there's people that you can learn off. So rather than seeing people, particularly in your team, as threats, see them as, my gosh, they've got some of the strongest strengths. How can I learn from that? And that's, um, I'm asking loads of questions to these players to figure out how can I progress my game in the shortest space of time possible. So, um, yeah, I think learn from anyone that's got strengths or experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's another great point for young cricketers that sometimes maybe there is a little bit of competition between, let's say, fast bowlers in nets, for example. I'm going to take more wickets than him, but actually you can learn little things off each other to improve your own game. Everyone's going to improve at that different rate. So it's about working out the conversations you need to have as a young cricketer 
and work out what direction you want to go in. I think that's a great point you've made. With that then, where do you see your career going in the next two, three years? What's what's the aim for you? So I'm trying to take everything day by day, step by step. The next big goal for me is the 100. So I haven't got a 100 contract yet. So that's my next big goal. I'd obviously love to play internationally, but that is maybe a couple of years off yet. So I'm trying to focus on my game in front of me. I think sometimes you can plan far too far ahead and that's something that COVID has taught us all that planning two years' time is potentially too far out. And I played my best cricket because I was focusing game by game, ball by ball versus thinking about next summer. So for me, it's the 100 this summer. That's one of my biggest challenges. And then... We'll see where it takes me. But yeah, obviously I'd love to be in the international arena at some point. Yeah, no, like you said there, obviously with the impact of everything that's gone at the minute, short-term goals have become so much more important. And there's a greater emphasis on that. And I think there it's another great point. And fingers crossed for that 100 contract, we'll be keeping an eye out for that one. Um, finally, you. From, finally from you, if you could afford one piece of advice to any young cricketer, male or female, what would it be and why? I'd say trust your ability. I think once you get into the professional arena, it's easy to say practice, 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 but to get in that environment, you've got to trust yourself and trust that you've got the capability to get there. Yes, it requires hard work. Yes, it requires focus. But if you trust yourself when you step into the middle, when you've got the ball in your hand, half the battle is done. So I'd say trust your own ability. Perfect. The main themes from this then, trust your ability, be willing to learn, be willing to learn and enjoy playing the game. Fantastic. Well, Phoebe, <laughs> absolutely. Phoebe, that's been brilliant to chat and that brings us to an end. So thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Lovely to speak. Cheers.